Today's scripture reading is Galatians 5:13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Hey, church, great to see you. Great to be with you today. Uh, Please join me uh, in prayer. Father, would you please give me the strength to preach your word and let us then hear your voice and obey it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is keeping you from being free to be the kind of person that you want to be? As you evaluate who you are in your life right now compared to who you want to be in the future, what stands in the way? There are countless ways that people might answer this question, but whatever answer someone gives, the diagnosis will always identify something that prevents you from reaching your full potential. The diagnosis every answer shares in common is the conviction that we are not truly free to be the kind of people we want to be. And if we could only escape whatever it is that holds us back, then we would be truly free to be who we ought to or want to be. Now, there are two popular approaches I've observed people take to try to find this freedom. And the first approach is what I would call the work harder for change approach. This approach says that what we need is to reach down deep inside to overcome our weaknesses. And if only we could exercise enough strength or enough power, then things will change. So you want to make more money? Work harder. You want to have a better body? Diet and exercise. Do you want to have more time? Optimize your schedule, increase efficiency. Are you lazy? Develop more self-discipline. Don't know how? Read a self-help book. And if these things aren't working, try harder. 
But the second common approach for how to obtain freedom is to accept yourself as you are. This approach says that we need to be freed from any imposition upon who we ought to be. And it's the rules and expectations that we place upon ourselves or that society or others place upon ourselves that we need to escape to be free to be who we are meant to be. This approach says you're fine just the way you are and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. This says never judge yourself or others. Shamelessly be who you want to be and pursue whatever you want to pursue. And you were made this way, so don't be afraid to be who you are. And as we look to the Bible, we see that the Bible is in agreement with the idea that we do not live up to, to, to be the kind of people we're meant to be. And like us, the Bible identifies obstacles that stand in the way of our freedom. And it shows us how to be freed to be the people God calls us to be. So what are those obstacles? And what is the way of freedom? If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And what we're going to see in Galatians 5 is the Spirit frees us to live transformed by the gospel. The Spirit frees us to live transformed by the gospel. Now in our current sermon series, we have been looking at the story of the Spirit, and we've been exploring how the Spirit works in our world and in our lives. How the Spirit creates and gives us life. How He helps us in our need. And how He gives His gifts to the church. And today in Galatians, we will see how the Spirit is at work in the lives of believers, freeing and shaping us to be the people we were created to be. Now in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians that he had previously preached the gospel to. And this gospel message teaches that we are saved by by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That means our salvation comes to us entirely as an undeserved gift from God and that nothing we could do could ever be necessary to improve upon it. But what had happened is this gospel message that Paul had preached to the Galatians and that they received was being distorted. And this letter, the, the book of Galatians, is Paul's response to this distortion of the gospel. And it shows us how we need to be freed. And in our passage, we're going to see three ways the Spirit frees us to live transformed by the gospel. And the first thing we're going to see is that the Spirit frees us from the law. The Spirit frees us from the law. Now, the distortion of the gospel that this letter addresses was that some people had come to the Galatians and basically said, unless you do the works of the Old Testament law, you didn't really belong as a saved member of God's family. So you know those holy days in the Old Testament that God told Israel to observe? You, You have to observe them. 
And if you like eating bacon, I'm sorry. That, get rid of the bacon. No more, no more of that for you. And you men, well, if you aren't circumcised, you're going to need to take care of that. If you're going to be accepted as part of the family, these, these are the house rules. And the lie, the distortion here, was that they needed to be, they needed to add to what Jesus had done. And they needed to do some things of their own, and then they would belong. They would really belong then. And this distortion is kind of like the the work harder for change that I mentioned earlier. It says that Jesus is good, but the responsibility is ultimately up to you. And what you have to do is keep the law. But so long as you as so long as you insist on keeping the law to be saved, you remain under the law's authority. You can't ever be free from doing what it says. Now don't get me wrong, what, what the law says is good and it's necessary. And, <clears throat> um, and, and it's necessary for people bent on sinning but the law will never be able to free us to live into the fullness of the lives that God intends and desires for us to live for our own good and his glory. And so long as we hold to the law, the law will hold us back. Here's what I mean. The law is kind of like training wheels. Training wheels guard a kid against falling off his bike but training wheels do not give anybody the ability to, to ride up and down a half pipe. They don't give anybody the ability to do tricks. You don't see anybody in the Olympics riding a bike with training wheels. Okay, it's, it's kind of silly. And not only do training wheels not grant that ability to ride to the fullest, they'll actually hinder your ability to ride to the fullest. And Paul tells the Galatians... That like that, the law, there is an alternative to living under the law. And that alternative is being led by the Spirit. Look at what it says in Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What this means then is if you have the Spirit, you don't live under the the old house rules, but you live under the Spirit's rule. The Spirit frees you from the necessity of keeping the law. Through the gospel of Jesus, the Spirit makes the law irrelevant for being a member of God's family. Let me show you an example. In Acts chapter 15, the church faced a similar situation where some people had said the Gentiles needed to keep the law to be saved. But the apostles rejected this precisely because of the Spirit. The Spirit was given to everyone who had faith in Jesus. Not just to those people who kept the law, but also to those people who who didn't observe the Old Testament law. So how do you know who is saved? Not by looking at who keeps the law, but by seeing who has the Spirit. And so by making the law irrelevant, the Spirit has freed us from the law. 
Paul makes this same point in Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul, what Paul is saying here is, you've learned how to ride a two-wheeler. Why are you now going back and saying you need to put the training wheels back on? Look at what he says about the law in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul reminds the Galatians that they didn't receive the Spirit by doing the law, but by faith in Jesus. And because they are now under the Spirit, they are freed from any obligation to keep the law. The Spirit is proof that they are free from the law. So let me ask us, what does the truth that the Spirit frees us from the law mean for us? Well, we might have a tendency to think that by doing or by not doing certain things, we are scoring points with God. That God's evaluation of us fluctuates based on certain performance outcomes. And many of us would probably never say this out loud, but I wonder if sometimes we have this subconscious mindset that basically tells us something like, God must really love me. I smile and I'm nice, and I'm polite to others. I'm a patient driver. I keep up on the house and lawn. I work hard at my job. I don't cheat on my taxes or on my spouse. I give to the church and I serve at the church, and my kids aren't weird. As Reed, as Reed would say, you even floss. You even floss, wow. But what you are doing with that mindset is you are making God's approval of you conditional upon your ability to achieve something. It's a way of living under law. Or maybe we feel unlovable by God because we failed in some area. And if we hear that, if we feel that way, that's the law talking. That is the law filtered by your own conscience saying either you're in or you're out. And so whether you think God approves or disapproves of you because of your performance, that's the law talking. And the Spirit shows us that we can be free of it because of Jesus. Or maybe... Our relationship with the law affects how we view others and how we treat one another. The law can lead us to compare ourselves and our performance with others and then judge them and treat them accordingly. Or it leads us to create divisions where there must not be divisions. 
or to argue and divide with one another over who is keeping all of the right rules in the right way and who isn't. But if the Spirit frees us, then what Paul says in Galatians 3.28 is true of the family. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I wonder if so many of the arguments and so, many, so much of the strife that we may see sometimes is often over matters that the Spirit has made irrelevant to being a member of God's family. Now, I know that I can be just as opinionated and stubborn and strong-willed as, as anyone else, and I can be just as much a stickler for doing things a certain way. But church, we have got to resist the temptation to divide with one another over matters that the Spirit has determined are irrelevant to belonging to the family of God. And if a matter is irrelevant because of the Spirit in our lives, then we must not let that matter get between us and a brother or sister in the Lord. Instead, as verses 13 and 14 say in Galatians 5, we must serve through love, serve one another, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can we we do this, church? So the Spirit frees us from the law. That's the first idea. But that raises the question, if we are not obligated to keep the law, does that mean that we can live any way we want? And Paul addresses this very thing in, the sec- in our second point, which is that the Spirit frees us from works of the flesh. Paul makes it clear that this freedom from the law does not mean that everything goes. In other words, we don't find freedom by accepting ourselves and making peace with sin. See what he says in 513. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, when Paul speaks about the flesh here, he's not referring to our physical bodies. What flesh refers to here in this passage is the sinful way of life that stands in opposition to God. Flesh, flesh refers to the sinful human condition apart from the Spirit. Now pay attention here. Paul says that freedom from the law does not mean we are free to sin. Why is this? Because you are only under the law if you are under the rule of sin. But Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we are in Christ, we are not under the rule of sin because we died with Christ and our sinful selves died with him. And now we live under the power of the spirit of Christ. So we're not only free from the law, but in Christ we're also free from the power of sin, which wants to break the law. Let's return to the training wheels illustration to help us understand. If you learn to ride a two-wheeler, you're not only free from the training wheels, 
but you're also free from them precisely because you are free from from your imbalance and instability which caused you to fall over and crash. If you remove the training wheels, it doesn't mean it's okay for you to fall over and crash your bike. Rather, when you gain the ability to ride without training wheels, you're able to ride even better. You're free to go off-road. You're free to hit the jumps, do tricks, enter a race. And likewise, being free from the law does not mean freedom to live a life of sin. It means that we have been freed from the rule of sin in our lives and now belong to the rule of the Spirit instead. This doesn't mean that life in the Spirit always comes easily, but that we may find freedom from the power of sin by the power of the Spirit. As Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The battle is real, but in the battle we may find true freedom through the Spirit. So the question then for us is simple. Are we ditching our training wheels so that we can crash our bikes? Or are we enjoying the thrill of riding two-wheelers? That is, are we using our freedom from the law to indulge in sin? Or are we living in the freedom of the Spirit? It's not hard to take a quick evaluation. Paul lists the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. Are these things evident in us? Now, in my experience, when you ask professing Christians a question like that, the people who answer yes can typically be divided into two groups. The first group is people who who recognize that the works of the flesh are evident in their lives and that this is wrong, but they simply figure that's what Jesus is for. And so they've basically given up at putting any resistance to the flesh. You can tell them that they are living opposed to the spirit, but they just kind of shrug because they figure they have their get-out-of-hell-free card. And if we find ourselves in this group, we're in a very dangerous place. This is neither the attitude nor the actions of the people of God. And the more that we persist in this way, the more we demonstrate that we do not belong to the people of God, but that we are still under the law and its condemnation of the flesh. God is not mocked. But the second group is people who recognize that the works of the flesh are evident in their lives and it pains them. They face incredible challenges and they often overcome them by the power of the Spirit. However, the flesh still gets some painful blows in. But these people continue to make it their aim to regularly oppose the flesh by the power of the Spirit. And if we find ourselves in this group, I want to encourage us, but I also want to charge us to keep fighting 
We are free from sin, but we still live in a fallen world, and our experience is still catching up with who we are. And we have cause to fight with great confidence, knowing that the Spirit is powerful to gradually lead us into greater freedom in our experience until that final day when God perfects all things and makes all things new. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you think, okay, that sounds, that sounds nice, But if I'm free from the flesh, why does the pull of sin still feel so strong in my life? And why can't I always stop sinning? And that brings us to the last way the Spirit frees us, which is the Spirit frees us to cultivate fruitful lives. The Spirit frees us to cultivate fruitful lives. Now, the Spirit doesn't just bring us into the Christian life. The Spirit is also the means by which we live transformed by the gospel. In our experience, this doesn't happen instantaneously, but over a lifetime of diligent cultivation. This ongoing process of growing more in the life of the Spirit and saying no to the flesh is what theologians often call sanctification. Now, sometimes I think we might fall under the false assumption that the spiritual life is supposed to be easy or else we're doing it wrong. But look at the language that is used to explain this new life in the Spirit. Verse 16 says, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18 says, to be led by the Spirit. Verse 22 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit And verse 25 says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. This is not the language that implies passivity in the Christian life or that that effort in living according to the Spirit is not necessary. It also doesn't mean that following Jesus is about a one-time decision and that now we're just hanging out until we get to heaven. As theologian J.I. Packer puts it, the Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. Walking in the Spirit, friends, requires active effort, not passivity. The metaphor of walking implies that we are on a journey every day that requires us to apply the freedom of the Spirit to every moment and aspect of our existence. I was talking to a friend about this recently, and he pointed out that although verse 18 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, what we often do is get it backwards and say that the way to be spiritual is first to stop walking and stop gratifying the flesh. But, it said, but the text says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. The problem is you won't be free of your flesh if you, are, if you are using your flesh to do it. What we need is not more willpower. We need the Spirit's power in our life. If there's a heavy weight that you are unable to lift... The solution is not just to strain and try harder. The solution is to walk in the Spirit. That that is, 
to cultivate the practices and habits that will build up your muscles. And then over time, the power of the Spirit will be stronger in your life so that you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The question for us then is, are we just trying harder by our own willpower? Or are we hitting the spiritual gym regularly, intentionally cultivating the Spirit's power in our life? Do we make a habit of prayer? Do we keep our noses in the scriptures? Do we regularly worship together with God's people? Do we have other people that we let into our lives to walk with us? What kind of effort are we making to grow in our ability to walk in the Spirit's power? Now, just last week, I took a trip back to West Michigan, where I'm originally from. And if you didn't know, West Michigan is apple country. And I was driving, as I was driving through the countryside, I was seeing all around me miles and miles of apple trees just loaded with apples. Now let's, let me ask us, how did those apples get on the tree? Did the farmer make those apples? Did he manufacture the apples somewhere in the barn and then glue them onto the tree? Is the farmer responsible for putting life into an apple seed or putting life into a tree? Of course not. The trees have life within them that naturally produces apples. And it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing. Anyone familiar with farming in any way knows that growing fruit requires care. You have to water the plants, and you have to provide them with sunlight and soil. You have to keep them free from disease, and you have to actively destroy any pests that will harm it. It's hard work growing fruit, but if we put in the work to cultivate the fruit, the harvest is certain because the life comes from the Spirit. And so if we find walking by the Spirit difficult, I want to assure us that this is normal. The flesh keeps this walk from being a walk in the park. And we'll have ups and downs. But through the Spirit, God's divine strength is at work in us. And so even though the battle may be very hard, it's not close to being even. And we can have assurance that as we walk by the Spirit, real progress is possible, even inevitable. And this is because the Spirit is alive and He is working in us to produce His fruit in our lives. He is the one ultimately producing the fruit, not us. Our responsibility is to cultivate the life of the Spirit so that He will work in us. May we do this work and likewise cultivate our lives so that the Spirit will produce His fruit in us. Now, being a follower of Jesus means that we have been given new life by the Spirit. But this new life is not one in which we sit idly by and do nothing. There's real work that we have to put in against the flesh. But by the Spirit, we are empowered in this task. The Spirit frees us 
to live transformed by the gospel. The Spirit frees us from the law. The Spirit frees us from works of the flesh. And the Spirit frees us to cultivate fruitful lives. And so by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, let's live, church, let's live in the freedom we are called to as the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the freedom the Spirit gives us through the gospel of Jesus. Give us the grace to repent from works of the flesh and encourage us and help us to cultivate fruitful lives for your glory. Amen.